Hi there. You may know that we had technical difficulties on Sunday that didn't allow us to record the service so that those of you who join us online could watch it. And so we thought it would be a good idea for me to at least record the sermon portion of our service on Sunday. So at least you get that and you can stay on track with us as we continue to progress through our Christmas sermon series, which is titled, The True Light Has Come. And I have to tell you, I don't mind sharing again what I shared on Sunday, because on Sunday, and what I'm going to do now is we talked about the fact that Jesus is the light that overcomes the darkness. And so I want, I want to share a little bit about that with you now. Um, and in order to do that, we're going to go back to John 1. Uh, John 1 is the portion of scripture that we're using throughout this entire series. And it gives us so much rich information about Jesus and what he has come to do. We're going to be really focused on verses 1 through 13 in John 1. So let me just read them to you. And then we're going to consider three questions. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So here are the three questions I, I want to encourage you to think through with me. What does John mean by darkness? How did Jesus overcome darkness? And how can we overcome darkness? So let's start with that first question. What does John mean by darkness? Last week, if you joined us online uh, last, uh, for last Sunday's service, uh, we really looked at John 1, 1 through 4, those first four verses, and we learned a lot about Jesus in those you know, first four verses. We learned that uh, the Word is Jesus, and that Jesus has always existed in a loving relationship with God the Father. And we know from the rest of the scripture, also with God the Holy Spirit as well, the three-in-one God existing eternally in loving community, right? We also learned through uh, looking at those first four verses of John 1 that Jesus was the agent through which God the Father created the world. We also learned that Jesus shares the very being, the same essence, the same very same character of God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, and yet he is a distinct person from God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. We also learn that in Jesus there is Zoe life. And Zoe life is, a, is life that's vibrant and vigorous and full and abundant. 
And it's this Zoe life that verse 4 tells us in John 1 that men were made for. We were made to experience this Zoe life that exists in the God, within the Godhead. So this is all good. I mean, this is wonderful news, isn't it? That we were created by a God that exists in loving community, and we were created to join in that loving community to experience Zoe life. This is, this is really amazing stuff. And in verse 5 of John 1, we find some more good news, but we also learn of some bad news. Now, I don't know what you prefer to hear first when somebody says, hey, I got good news and bad news to tell you. What do you want to hear first? But we're going to start with the bad news first, and then we'll go to the good news. Verse 5 tells us the bad news, and this I'm sure is not new news to anybody, especially anybody living in 2020. The bad news is there is darkness in the world. Uh, John makes that clear in verse 5. But the question is, what does John mean by darkness. Well, we know darkness is the opposite of light, right? And so John just got done saying that Zoe life in Jesus was the light of men. And so darkness must mean the opposite of Zoe life in Jesus. Darkness is a life that is separated from the loving community of the Godhead, right? And doesn't understand the greatness of the three-in-one God and isn't experiencing a deepening love for God. That's what some of what darkness means. So let's, let's keep going with Zoe life and darkness being the opposite of Zoe life. So Zoe life is a life that is full of abundance. Well, then darkness must be, mean like a life that lacks. And that wants. Zoe life is a life of love. Darkness must then mean that uh, a life of hatred and bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness. Zoe life is a life of joy. Darkness must mean then a life of sadness and depression. Zoe life is a life of security. Darkness must mean a life of insecurity. Zoe life is a life of hope. Darkness is a life of despair. And, and looking at what darkness is as compared to what Zoe life is, is, is a good way of looking at, you know, and trying to discern what, what John means by darkness. Because looking at it this way really jives well with the rest of Scripture. Scripture often uses darkness as a metaphor um, for evil, for a life that is cut off from God, a life that is a life of disbelief and then is experiencing the negative consequences of it. You know, renowned Bible scholar N.T. Wright, he, he really puts it well when he says this, sin is the rebellion of mankind against the vocation to reflect God's image into the world. The refusal to worship God the Creator and the replacement of that worship and that vocation with the worship of elements of the created order and the loss of image-bearing humanness which inevitably results. Death is not an arbitrary punishment for sin. It is its necessary consequence. Check this out. Since turning away from the living God, which constitutes idolatry, is the spiritual equivalent of a diver cutting off his own breathing tube. 
Tim Keller may even say it better. He says this, according to the Bible, we have lost the original full right relationship with God we had at the beginning. That is the reason we will eventually know physical death, and it is why we experience spiritual death now. Loss of meaning and hope, addictive, inordinate desires, deep discontent that can't be satisfied, shame and struggles with identity, and an inability to change. You know, at its deepest level, sin is our rebellion against God. It's rejecting him, and it is a refusal to give him the love and the devotion and the worship that he so deserves. And it is a decision to find Zoe life apart from God, to find it elsewhere in created things rather than our creator. And this decision that we, we've all made unleashes the darkness in our world. From the beginning with the first humans, we saw Adam and Eve, right? They rejected God and they sought to find Zoe life apart from him, trusting their own judgment as to what they should worship and love and devote themselves to. And it led to disastrous consequences, right? And every human being since has followed suit, right? Our decision to reject God has led to psychological breakdown. It's led to physical breakdown. It's led to relational breakdown, societal breakdown. There's been breakdown, death, decay on so many levels because we have all chosen to reject God. And so when you look at our world and you look at all the racial injustice um, that we have talked about here recently, and you look at the, the division uh, around politics, and you look at this nasty pandemic that's surging and taking lives, uh, the question is, who is to blame for the deep darkness that we see in our world? And the answer is, we are all to blame. We have all played a role in the darkness in some way, shape, or form that fills our world. And the truth is, if we're being real, we haven't been able to fix it, right? I mean, even in this last century, we've looked to technology, we've looked to science, we've looked to polit a political party, uh, we've looked to all sorts of things to fix the darkness that's in the world. And here we are in 2020 with the things that I just told you about are happening all around us that are making this world really dark. What I appreciate about the Christian worldview and what I appreciate about the Christmas message is it's realistic. It's realistic that, look, there is darkness in the world and we humans can't fix the darkness that we've all contributed to. That's the bad news. Good news also, though, is that's contained in the Christmas message you know, the Christmas message is a challenge because of what I've just shared with you, the bad news I just shared with you, but it's also a comfort because in verse five, there's this good news that there is a light in the world that the darkness cannot comprehend. And so verse five tells us that, yes, there is light and darkness in the world and they are opposites, but they are not equals. Light is more powerful than darkness. John tells us that Jesus is the light that the darkness can't comprehend. 
other translations say overcome, such as the NIV and the ESV. I think both are true. But for the purpose of what I'm sharing with you, I really want to hone in on that Jesus is the light that the darkness cannot overcome. So how does, that leads us to our second question then, right? How does Jesus overcome the darkness? Well, Jesus overcomes the darkness uh, through his life, his, his, his resurrection, and his return. We'll talk about his death in our next question. Um, so first, Jesus' life. Think about Jesus' life. Um, Hebrews, I mean, there's other scriptures that make this clear, but Hebrews 4.15 explicitly states that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are tempted, and yet he was without sin. That means not once did Jesus ever compromise his integrity. Not once did he ever compromise his character. Not once did he ever uh, tell even a half-truth. Never once did he look at a, a woman lustfully. Never once did he have thoughts he shouldn't have. Never once did he speak a word he shouldn't have spoken. Never once did he behave in a way that was contrary to uh, the way he should have lived and that God has commanded us to live. He was flawless in thought, word, and deed. He was flawless in every way. Um, this is just truly, truly remarkable. Zoe life was in him and he lived it out loud. He lived it out perfectly. And it's crazy when you think that from the start of his public ministry, Jesus, actually from the start of his life, he was opposed at every turn by the darkness. And yet he never yielded into, you know, yielded himself to follow that darkness that opposed him at every turn. Quite remarkable. Jesus overcame the darkness in his life. Jesus overcame the darkness also in his resurrection. That evil that opposed him, that tried to kill him when he was a baby through King Herod and then continued to oppose him um, in his life and in his public ministry really came to a head the last week of Jesus' life. Human evil and spiritual evil threw their absolute best shot at Jesus the last week of his life. And uh, Jesus experienced, you know, his best friends deserting him, best friends betraying him. He experienced the religious establishment attacking him. He experienced the, uh, the injustice of the political system of Rome. Um, he was beaten. He was mocked. He was tortured. And then he was executed in what people believe is the worst form of execution that has ever been created, crucifixion. Jesus endured all of that in his last week of living, and yet the scriptures tell us three days later he rose from the dead. And that, if that's not the, the defeat of darkness, I don't know what it is. It threw its best shot at Jesus, and Jesus rose from the dead, healed and whole. Jesus, he defeated the darkness in his resurrection. Jesus will overcome the darkness through his return. So after Jesus was raised from the dead, he walked on the earth for 40 days, right? And he spent time with people, and people saw him alive, healed, and whole. And then he was, then, then he ascended to the right hand of God the Father in heaven. But he's returning. And when Jesus returns, he is going to remove evil 
uh, once and for all from God's good world. He's going to eradicate it completely. And those people that persist in the darkness, Jesus will expel it and expel them uh, forever from God's good world. Jesus overcomes the darkness in his return. And that's why the prophet tells us as it as the prophet is speaking to the future day of Jesus's return and, and Jesus renewing all things. The prophet Isaiah tells us every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. For burning. Jesus will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Now, it's great that Jesus overcame the darkness in his life and his resurrection and his return. But the question is, how might we overcome the darkness that's not just out there, but that's we've talked about is in us? How can we overcome our darkness? That leads us to that question, the third question, how can we overcome the darkness. Now John tells us the answer in verses 12 and 13, but let me start at verse 10 in John 1. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of God. John tells us here that if we're going to overcome the darkness in us and in the world, um, we have to undergo a change that is so dramatic that it can only be described as new birth. Um, we need more than a cosmetic patch job, right? We need a whole gut and remodel. We need more than heart surgery. We need a heart transplant. We need a whole new heart. That's what we need. And this is why we could never save ourselves because we do not have the power within ourselves to change ourselves at our most deepest parts, at our very core. We can make cosmetic changes. People do that all the time in their life. Uh, New Year's is coming. Surely people will be doing, will be focusing on some cosmetic changes. And actually many of them will fail, but some will succeed. But we can't change our, our very essence, our very being, the, the core of who we are. Only God can do that. Only God can radically change us. Um, in our hearts so that we have a whole new set of desires. We have a whole new set of goals. We have a whole new set of priorities. We have a whole new set of passions and concerns and dreams and visions. Only God can do that. And so we need this new birth. We need to, we need a fresh start. We, we need to be birthed into a new life. Only God can do that. And verse 12 tells us that that God has given that right to, to Jesus. That Jesus has been given the right to cause us to be born again um, into God's family so that we can experience this radical inside out change and experience Zoe life. Now why is Jesus, why has he been given the right to enable us to be born again? And the answer is because 
he has done what is necessary to reconcile us to God. And he's the only one that can reconcile us to God. You know, we're that diver that N.T. Wright talked about um, who is scuba diving in the ocean and our breathing tube has been disconnected from the way that, because of our sin, right? Only Jesus can reconnect that tube to the life source that is, that is God. Um, one thing that is very clear is that our darkness has driven the serious wedge between us and God. There's no doubt about it. We've cheated on him. We've um, spurned his love. We've committed treason against him. We've opposed him and we've opposed people made in his image in many obvious ways, but also in many subtle ways as well. And because God is a good judge, he will not let sin go unpunished. And because we have sinned and fallen short of his standards, we deserve the death penalty. We deserve to be eternally separated from him forever in his good world and his people in a place that the Bible calls hell. This is what our life has earned us. What's more is that's where our life has earned us and our life has done nothing to earn us or merit us acceptance into God's family and to be treated as royalty, royalty and to, so that we can experience Zoe life. And here is the immense beauty of the Chris, Christmas message. It is that Jesus, God in the person of Jesus, took on human form, became a human so that he could be our substitute. On the cross, Jesus, he bled and he died to cancel the guilt of our crimes against God and people made in his image. The Son of God took on the justice of God and he absorbed every last drop of it in our place. He took on what we earned for ourselves. And you know, Jesus had to be perfect in order to die as our substitute because if he wasn't perfect, who would have Jesus been dying for on the cross? If he had sinned, he would have been dying for his own sins. Only a sinless person can die for another person's sins. Because if they're sinful, they're just if they die, they're just getting what they deserve. They're not atoning for anybody else's sins. There's another reason why Jesus had to live a perfect life. You know, um, being forgiven of our trespasses and our sins... It's a wonderful thing, no doubt about it. Um, but it only puts us in a neutral place with God. Um, to be accepted by God, you've got to have a perfect performance record. You've got to have um, a, a performance record that merits the acceptance into his family. Um, and and this, is, uh, this is the other reason why Jesus lived a perfect life. We couldn't, we obviously, tr we couldn't live that perfect life, but Jesus as our substitute, he lived the perfect life we should have lived in our place so that we can be accepted into God's family and experience Zoe life so God can accept us. Jesus merited eternal life, Zoe life for us in our place. Now, the question becomes, how does Jesus's accomplishments become ours? How does Jesus's substitutionary work become, how does it become ours? How do we grab a hold of it? Well, John tells us in verse 12 
that we must believe and receive. What does it mean to believe and receive? Well, to believe in Jesus means that you believe he is who he said he was, right? You believe that he was your substitute. You believe that he lived the life that you were meant to live but couldn't live in your place to earn a, uh, to earn a perfect performance record that could be given to you. And you believe that in his death he took upon your sin and was punished for it in your place so that your uh, crime, your rap sheet, your crime record could be expunged, erased, blotted out completely. You believe that Jesus uh, when he was raised from the dead, was God the Father's stamp of approval that, yes, he was a sufficient substitute. This is what you believe. and you, uh, So that's what you believe. Here's the second part. You must receive. You must receive Jesus. It's not enough just to believe that Jesus was who he said he was. Even the demons believe and shudder, right? It's not enough. We must receive Jesus. Receiving Jesus means at least two things. First, it means that you are asking Jesus to make his work in his life and his death and his resurrection count for you. You're saying to Jesus, like, look, I know <laughs> that I'm guilty of just totally rejecting God and sinning against him. And I know that I haven't lived a life that can merit me favor with God. I need you, Jesus, as my substitute. Make your life and death count for me. So that's the, one of the parts of receiving Jesus. The next part of receiving Jesus is yielding your allegiance to him. If Jesus is Lord and, he, and you believe he is who he said he is, well then guess what? You owe your very existence to him and you owe now your redemption to him. And so guess what? He is Lord and you are not, and he gets to call the shots. He is your CEO, he is your boss, he is your commander in chief that you follow. You need to yield your allegiance to him. And John tells us those who believe in and receive Jesus in this way, they become born again. They are given the Holy Spirit that comes and lives inside of them and that goes to work immediately to start to rewire them in, the most, in their most fundamental parts so that more and more in increasing measure they can experience the Zoe life that they were created for. And so let me just mention two points by way of application, right? So uh, if, if you're listening to this and you have yet to believe and receive Jesus, into your life. Um, this Christmas, why not? Why not? Uh, why not receive Jesus as your king, the true Christmas gift that all other Christmas gifts were just meant to point to? Because if you haven't believed and received Jesus, guess what? Your guilt remains on you and you still stand guilty before God. And you will experience the punishment that your sin deserves. Eternal separation from God and his world forever, for eternity. So believe and receive. Um, be born again into God's family. Have the Holy Spirit come and live inside of you and change you from the inside out. Don't delay. If there are roadblocks, if there are barriers that are keeping you from this, um, consider what those are and, and wrestle with those things. 
I believe that those who seek and those who knock, sincerely, honestly, uh, Jesus opens the door, right? They find. They find Jesus. Secondly, if you've already trusted your life to Jesus and uh, you've believed and you received and you've been born again into his family, I just want to remind you of something you probably already know. And then that is this, there is no darkness in your life that Jesus can't overcome. Whether you're suffering from the darkness of anxiety or depression, the light of Christ can overcome it. Maybe you're suffering from the darkness of incessant worry, the light of Christ can overcome it. Maybe you're struggling with the darkness of, of loneliness, in the light of Christ, you can overcome it. Maybe you're struggling with the darkness of failure. In the light of Christ, it can be overcome. Maybe you're struggling from the darkness of infertility. In the light of Christ, it can be overcome. Maybe you're struggling with the darkness of having lost a loved one. In the light of Christ, it can be overcome. Maybe you're struggling with the darkness of disease. In the light of Christ, it can be overcome. Maybe you're struggling with the, the reality that you are moving closer and closer to death as we all are, but some, it looks like, are, are closer than ever. And, and maybe you're one of them and you're struggling. The light of, in the light of Christ, that can be overcome. There's no darkness that the light of Christ can't expel. And so, child of God, remember who you are and to whom you belong I think a lot of times the darkness feels even more dark because we forget who we belong to and who we are in the one we belong to. You are a new creation. You are a child of the king. You are forgiven. God looks at you and he sees you and views you and accepts you as if you did everything that Jesus did. The Holy Spirit now lives in you. You are no longer a slave uh, to sin, but you are a slave to righteousness. You no longer have to fear the present or the future. If God is for you, who or what can be against you? He is the light that the darkness can't overcome. And so, child of God, bring your darkness to God by immersing yourself in prayer and in, in his word. Bring your darkness, child of God, to God's people who want to help and can help and provide you with the support and challenge you need to make it not around your darkness, but through your darkness. I really believe we're only as sick as our secrets. Don't let things fester in the darkness. Bring them to the light of God and his people. Come out of the darkness into the light. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Amen.